Today I want to tell you about the most surprising proposal you've ever seen, you've ever heard of, and it's found in Scripture. We've been going on this journey this last month, and then we started with Moses murdering a man. Kind of a weird place to start you know, a message series, but it actually is a good place for all of us because we've all had things in our lives that we've done and we've buried and we thought we were done with. All the while, we weren't even close to being done with them. We find that Moses ran from his past and he goes into the desert and he hides, but yet God calls him out of his past to go encounter his past. He sends him back to Egypt to to free the Israelites. Moses goes back to the Israelite people and the people are free and they go they go across the Red Sea and it's a beautiful picture of baptism. They then stand on the other side of the Red Sea and God is going to lead them into the promised land. The big question now becomes whether God can be trusted or will he be like Pharaoh and just use the people for his own benefit? So two weeks ago, we talked about how God can be trusted and, and he can't, we can depend on him to provide for us. But still, the people wonder, how do we live? It's one thing to know that we can trust God, but then the next question is, well, how do we live in trusting God? We find the answer to this in Exodus, Moses goes up Mount Sinai and God meets him there and speaks to him. So in Exodus 19, 4 through 6, this is what it said. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God is reminding the Israelites, do you remember how I protected you? Do you remember how I carried you out of slavery and and I cared for you? You are my treasured possession. Now, you see, if we read this from a, a Jewish perspective, what we're reading is wedding language. God is saying, I want to be in a relationship with you. I have rescued you. I have taken you out. You are my treasure. I'm asking you, do you want to make a covenant together? Do you want to bring two parties together? Do you want to be one with me? Do you want to be my bride? 
So Moses takes this down Mount Sinai back to the Israelites. And he tells them what God said to him. In Exodus 19.8, we see their response. It says that all of the Israelites said, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, if you've read the story, you're hoping that they wrote a clause in the bottom of what they just said because they didn't do a very good job of of doing what they just said they were going to do. So God, in essence, is taking out the little box. He's gotten on a knee and he's saying, will you be my bride? And all the Israelites overwhelmingly said, yes. So Moses tells them the wedding's going to be in three days. You need to go get yourselves ready. Because he's going to go up the mountain, and he's going to take Aaron with him. And he tells the Israelites, watch what God is going to do, because God is going to descend upon the mountain. The wedding ceremony took place 50 days after the Passover. And today, it's actually one of the main festivals celebrated by the Jewish people. It's called Shavuot, or Shavuot. It's said both ways. So Shavuot literally means seven weeks. They were original, just like Gas City was original when we came up with our street names. They were original. Like, they just said... We're just going to call it the seven weeks festival, you know. So Shavat is what it is. And so they have this celebration. But it's a celebration of their marriage vows. It's a celebration of their vows to God. And these vows... They were simply how God's people could move in step and live in harmony with God. Now, if you're like me and you hear the word command or commandment, your first thought probably is, oh, buddy, a bunch of rules and regulations that I have to follow. But that's not what these were. You see, these things, these commandments were not transactional. You see, commandment in Hebrew literally means sacred deed. There was something sacred about them. It wasn't just something you did just to do it, but you did it with your heart and your soul behind it. They were not transactional. They were relational. What if we heard them as the Jewish rabbi does today? What what if we heard them as vows to be taken? Exodus 20, starting in verse 2, God starts out and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He begins right, this is relational. Remember what I did for you? I rescued you 
I took you out of harm's way from Pharaoh. I want you to be first in my life. I want me to be first in your life. And so he gives them these marriage vows. The first one, we're to have no other gods, only God. Only God is to be the only God that we worship. He's saying, I don't want to be in a relationship with anyone else. But I also don't want you to be in any other relationship that puts them above me. I want to be first in your life. So I ask you today, are there any other gods that you've taken and put in the place of God? Is there anyone who has taken that attention that God should get? Have they taken that attention away from God? The second one is no counterfeits. You know, as I was taking people's money as they were coming in and, and parking, I can't tell you the number of times where I thought, I wonder if there's any counterfeit bills in here. I mean, there was so much money like going through hands. It was like, man, is there any counterfeit stuff out there? You see, God asks us that same question. Is there any counterfeit gods in your life? And you see, it's, it's not a God as, as like a person, but is there money? Your cars, you know, it's a great week to bring up cars, right? You know, what are those things that we've made idols out of, that we worship more than we worship God? Do we have any counterfeits in our life? Is there anything in our life that we're bowing down to? Only other than just God. Number three, don't miscarry my name. Don't miscarry my, vein, my name. A lot of times we read this and we hear, do not misuse God's name or do not take God's name in vain. And those are very important aspects of this. However, this is wedding language. When two are married, the bride takes on the name of the groom. So here, God is saying, do not miscarry my name. When you say you are a follower of Jesus, you take on the name of Jesus. And so when you say that you are a follower of Jesus, and you go out to Ducktail Run, and you cuss like a sailor, Jesus' name is all over you. Whose name do they see? Do they see Jesus' name or do they see your name? You know, I, I, I told Kalen a few times in his life so far, hey, your last name's Jones, buddy. You either change your name or you start acting different. Because you reflect me. I don't care if you're in a town where nobody knows me. 
your name still reflects me. And the same is true with God. God is saying, you bear my name. Don't miscarry it. Reveal to people through your life, through your actions, through your words, that you do carry my name. So the question becomes, are you carrying God's name the way you should be? Number four, remember the Sabbath. You see, in Egypt, they worked every day. When the sun came up, they were working. When the sun went down, they were working. They pretty much ate and slept. That's when they weren't working. That's it. Their life was literally revolved around work. But in God's economy, you see, this is one of the things that, that we're not really good at grasping. You see, there's our economy, and then there's God's economy. Our economy says work, 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 work as much as you can, make as much as you can, spend more than you made. And that's our economy's motto. But God says, do your work, but rest. Take time to rest. Because when we rest, we're honoring what is sacred. You see, our bodies are sacred temples of the Holy Spirit. If we don't rest, we won't be at our best when we're out showing the world. Because what happens? When, when, we're get, when we get tired, we get what? Grumpy, right? Yeah, we get grumpy, we get mean, we get short-tempered. Why? Because we're, we're not rested, we're tired. But God says you need to be at your best, so you need to rest. But you see, when we think of the Sabbath, we think, oh, today's the Sabbath, this is Sunday. Well, you're not very good Jews because you missed yesterday, which was the actual Sabbath. Um, but, you know, we're not Jews, so Sunday is our Sabbath. Or is it? Because technically, I'm working today. So, that becomes the question for me of, am I taking a Sabbath where I rest? You see, a Sabbath doesn't always mean just when you gather for worship. It means when you take time to rest and relax and reflect on what God has done in your life, what God has done throughout this last week, how he's used us. You know, I, I woke up this morning, and I, was, I did not want to get up. And I got up, and I get in the shower, and I just start thinking, God, thank you. Because I, I, I'm blessed that the last three days, I have been on my feet all day long. I, I 
even went and coached a cross-country meet and came back and worked even more. I, my knees every day were like they hurt. And, I, and I, don't get me wrong here. I'm, I'm just telling you me because I know that there are a lot of you that are saying the exact same thing after this last week. Like, we're tired. We're exhausted. But I woke up. God, thank you that I was able to do it. Thank you that I was able to get up this morning. Because you see, on a normal day, I, I don't see that as a blessing because I don't stop and think about it. But God, you know what? Thank you that I get, a, I get to get up and I get to pour over your word and, and I get to be a vessel that's used by God to, to speak into your hearts. Thank you. Let it be a blessing that we thank God for as we rest and we remember what he's done in our lives. The fifth one. Honor the legacy of your father and mother. See, we, we read Scripture and it says, honor your father and mother. Anybody's father or mother um, like to misuse this Scripture? Um, my mom does. Well, you're not honoring your mother. What you're telling me to do isn't something I should be honoring. Just being honest. Let me just say, my kids could probably say the same thing about me sometimes. Probably more than sometimes. Like, we can all say that. I'm not just throwing my mom under the bus here. But a lot of times, that's what we think. It's about doing everything our mom and dad tell us to do. That's not what it's saying. You see, he was talking, audience, he was talking to the Israelite people. All of these people were assumed by the everyday person to have a relationship with God. So if our parents have a relationship with God, we are to honor their legacy as we grow up. What did our parents model for us? Did they model a, a Christian home? Did they seek to do the best to their ability to train us in the ways of Christ? To show us the way they should go? And we should honor that legacy. For God, these vows were to be something passed down from generation to generation to generation. And the only way that happened is if the child honored the legacy of the parents. Now I know for some of us, we weren't raised in a Christian home or you may not have a good family legacy. But you have to be the first one. You get to be the first person in that legacy to pass down to your kids, to maybe to your grandkids, what it means to live a life that honors God. How do you want your family to define your legacy? 
6 through 9, all dealt with things that you wanted to take. 6, don't take a life. 7, don't take someone else's spouse. That's just... I mean, it sounds like common sense to me, but don't take someone's possessions. Don't take someone's reputation. Ouch. You see, God has put his image on each one of us. If we speak falsely about someone, we're taking their reputation. We're not allowing them to create and set up and stand up for their reputation. We're taking it out of their hands and saying, we're going to define their reputation. Number 10, don't desire what someone else has. Trust God that He will give you Enough. You see, all these commandments center around trust. Trusting that God is who he says he is. Trusting that God will provide. Trusting that God will be there for you. Now, why was God so crystal clear about not wanting you to take something? Because when you take it, it brings us back to the fall, to sin. It brings you back to the story of Adam and Eve because of what they do. They took because they believed that God was holding back from them. They didn't trust God. They ate from that tree that God said, do not, because they felt like God was holding back. And so they said, we want to know all the knowledge that God has. So God says, if you take what's not yours, you're saying you don't trust me to provide. The first four commandments center around your relationship with God. Five through ten center around your relationship with others. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Jesus wasn't just making stuff up when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the translation for neighbor isn't just the people who live next to you. Neighbor is literally all of humanity. Others. Let's just say others to be everybody. So Jesus was in essence saying, go back to your marriage vows. Go back to honoring the vows that I made with my people. To put me first and other second. But you see, we can't say, well, I'm really good at loving you, God. I'm not so good at loving other people. Guess what? If you're not good at loving other people, you're not good at loving God. 
Ouch. But that's the truth. You can't separate the truth, the two of them. Because to separate the two of them is to nullify Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. Because Jesus died for all of humanity so that everyone could have their sins forgiven. To say that we don't love people or to seek to love people we're in essence saying, God, what you did on the cross, I'm sorry, but it wasn't all that worth it. At least they weren't. Jesus died on Passover. Acts 1 verse 3 tells us that after Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. During this time, he was meeting with the disciples. Jesus tell the, tells them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes, things are going to really start to change and you will be my witnesses to the people all over the world. Ten days later, doing the math, 40 days, he appeared to his disciples. Ten days later, the Feast of Pentecost is celebrated. And the book of Acts tells us that in Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's Shavuot. Literally, that's what's happening here. 50 days after the Passover, the Israelites leave Egypt. The Israelites came to Mount Sinai and they celebrated Shavuot 50 days after. 50 days after Jesus died on the cross for our sins on Passover, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. What is Acts 2? It's the birth of the church. What is Acts 2? It's the birth of the bride. Scripture tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. It's taken us literally back to the first things he told us to devote ourselves to. The things that would keep us connected to him. You see, the commandments were not things to obey, but they were ways to stay in connection with the Father. You see, Acts 2 is Jesus proclaiming that the world is his bride. And I'm getting ready to do something new. From the grave to the garden. It all comes full circle. You see, the beauty of Scripture is that there is no one person that could have possibly written Scripture. If you see all of the intricate things that are woven together through history and time, 
No one person could have possibly come up with things and be historically, archaeologically, scientifically accurate. But we literally see what Jesus is speaking in the New Testament brings us very back to the beginning of God's relationship with his people. How serious are your vows? How serious are you about your vows? I can't answer it for you. I can only answer it for me. Do we take our marriage vows with our spouse more seriously than we take our marriage vows with Christ? As much as you love your spouse, you should, but you should not love your spouse more than you love your God. Because when you put your spouse above God, you're hurting your spouse. Because you're not loving your spouse the way that you were meant to love your spouse. It's only when we love God the way we're supposed to, that we could ever pour into our spouse the way we were meant to. Stand with me. If you would, just reach your hands out and receive this blessing this morning. Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that is far greater than any of us deserve. God, I pray that we would think about our vows to you. That when we said yes to your son, Jesus, we were saying yes to those vows. God, help us to not just simply look at them today and look over them tomorrow. God, help us to come to you each and every day and bring a little more of ourself to sacrifice so that you can grow more in our lives. God, we pray that you would be honored in our lives, in how we worship you and how we love others. Be glorified, Jesus, I pray. Amen.